hear the word of God from Esther chapter 4 and chapter 10, as well as Hebrews 10 and 11. You can follow along on the screen or in your own Bible. Esther chapter 4, 13 through 17. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you'll escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will come up from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if maybe you were made queen for just such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same, and then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, then I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Esther 10. King Xerxes imposed a tribute throughout his empire, even to the distant coastlands. His, Mordecai's, great achievements and the full account of the greatness of Mordecai, whom the king had promoted, are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Media and Persia. Mordecai the Jew became the prime minister, with authority next to that of King Xerxes himself. He was very great among the Jews, who held him in high esteem because he continued to work for the good of his people and to speak up for the welfare of all their descendants. From Hebrews 10, 19 through 24. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have a confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good works, not keeping, giving up meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now from Hebrews 11. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, in the assurance of what we do not see. That is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And what more can I say? I don't have time to tell about those who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, who quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword those whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. These were all commended for their faith, but none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, 
so that only together with us would they be made perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, James. For those of you playing Waypoint Bingo, I had a long passage read, so, uh, but I don't have a handout, so no handout this morning. Uh, I definitely love to teach God's Word, and I'm glad to be teaching with you, teaching the Word and, and worshiping with you this morning. I'm Danny. I'm the international student pastor here at Waypoint, and uh, praise God for His faithfulness. And if you look at the slide, it says, God calls His people to faith. And I want to start off, as we think about that, I want, I want you to think about what kind of story gets you? What kind of book or movie or, you know, the story just motivates you or tugs at your heart, makes you cry or makes you want to go out and do something? When I was in college, this will date me, um, a movie called Rudy came out. And we ate, every college campus has the free movie. You know, a couple months after it's been in the real movie theater, they put it on campus. They have a free movie. They play it like for all weekend. And me and my fraternity brothers went and all saw Rudy. And uh, we came back to the house. This is a true story. And we had these extra mattresses that were just laying around. And we lined them up and we would stand in between the mattresses and guys would run down the hall at full speed and crush into each other because the movie just motivated us to, I don't know, just, just be great at football. You know, just, I don't know. We were in an SEC school. A lot of people love football. A lot of people would love to be Rudy and get out there and play. And it just inspired us. And to, the, to this day, it's one of my favorite movies. Uh, I really just, it inspires me. Lord of the Rings is my other favorite movie. Just completely, all 12 hours of it inspire me. We try to watch it as a family once a year. Uh, Les Mis, I remember watching that and I, not the musical one, the, the one that came out about 10 years before. And there's the scene with the bishop where Jean Valjean is, is stealing the stuff and, and the bishop shows him mercy. I'd never heard that story. I didn't read it in literature class or anything. That was the first time I'd ever encountered that, that Hugo's way of showing what forgiveness and grace can actually change, how it could change a person. I, re I remember seeing that scene and it impacting me tremendously. Uh, the acting wasn't that great, but the scene and the idea of the scene was, was phenomenal. Um, I love sports movies. Um, there's a movie called McFarland USA, Disney probably embellished a lot of things. Actually, it did embellish a lot of things, but the core of the story is these, these kids from, most of their families came from Mexico, they're living in America, and their families are so poor, they have to get up at like four in the morning and work on the farms and then go to school. And I thought about my own childhood, me complaining that I had to just go to school, let alone work on a farm. And it, it just inspired me. Not just that they won cross-country championships, but that, that those kids would do that because they loved their parents and they wanted to help their families. And, and you know, even as an adult, that movie really just, just made a big impact on me, thinking about that those were real people. And there's lots of people in, the, in our country that are around the world that, that go through that. So those are some movies that inspired me. Um, there are these stories. And Esther, like the book of Job, is a historical account told in a narrative way to teach us a lesson. So if, if you look at Esther or Job, they're, I believe they're accurate, they're historical accounts. Esther is, you know, in one genre and Job's in a different genre. They both contain a lot of wisdom, 
They're both to teach us something about God and how God interacts with humans. But Esther particularly is, is presented in a way like you'd write a movie. Most uh, Jewish scholars believe that Mordecai actually wrote the account and then editors edited it later and then it was put into the Hebrew Bible. So that's how we get it. It was actually, in Hebrew, it's called the scrolls because there were five scrolls that were read at different celebrations, at different Hebrew festivals. And the last scroll or the, was the scroll, what we call Esther, and it was actually just called the scroll. And it was probably the most popular one in Jewish history. They loved hearing the story of Esther and remembering what God did. Uh, when they rewrote Esther in Greek and what's called the Septuagint, they actually added in a prayer of Esther and a prayer of Mordecai just to give it a little more, um, I don't know what you call it, just, just, to give it, just to give it a little more, like the editors added it. But the original Hebrew is what we have now, so that's what's in our Christian Bible. Uh, so that's Esther, it's the story. Uh, scholars, Old Testament scholars don't even know how to, how to, uh, how to what to call it, what genre, because there's no other biblical genre like it. Some people have said it's a comedic tale because you have this fumbling drunk king who's like, and it just totally makes fun of him as a drunk and, and it kind of makes fun of Haman. So maybe Mordecai wrote it or the editors did it uh, to, to add that element to show the folly of the world and the wisdom of the people of God. Uh, it can also be called a wisdom tale and, and it has the, the way it's presented is, is kind of how we, we, we see Job is presented. Uh, one scholar, or a lot of scholars call it a narratized lament because it, in, it, in, it contains the idea of this narratized lament that's in Psalms. And it, it basically follows this pattern. Uh, crisis, period of abandonment, reversal, and a state of favor. So it's, it's one of the few books of the Bible where we just don't have a genre to put it in because it covers, it spans a couple different genres, but it's a great story. Actually, like I said, to, if you met a Jewish person anywhere in the world, this would probably be their favorite story. Just like for me, Rudy or Lord of the Rings, those are my favorite stories. You know, I, I tell those again and again. One is an actual story about a person. Uh, now, I also heard the Rudy story for those of you, I don't wanna ruin it for you, but it didn't quite happen that way, but I wanna believe that it happened that way. Um, but the, the, uh, the Lord of the Rings is the other story where I just go back to it time and time again because it, I feel like it relates to me. It gives me, it inspires me. It makes me, it, it makes me want to go out and do great things for God when I think about that story. Now, yesterday, it was my son's birthday, and we went and watched Spider-Man Far From Home. And now the movie just came out, so I won't spoil it for you. It is, it is a good movie. Um, but in Far From Home... There's, there's this dilemma that most superhero movies have. Should you use your power for good and, and keep using it or just kind of fade back and live a normal, comfortable life, right? Isn't that one of the dilemmas of the superhero movies? Like how much do you fight? There's so much to fight in these movies. New, new villains keep coming and coming and coming. And, and, and that's, I'm not going to, uh, no spoilers, but you probably could already guess that, but that's kind of the tension in the movie. Like how much should Peter Parker just be a normal kid versus how much should he be Spider-Man? And uh, in some ways, this superhero dilemma is one we face as followers of Jesus Christ, right? We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We have all the power of God to go out and change the world for good. And the question many of us ask 
is when do we sit back and enjoy the good things in life that God has given us, or when do we go out and do something about the brokenness in the world? This is probably the greatest question you're going to deal with all the time. When, 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 what do you do? And I, I would argue that the wisdom literature in the Old Testament directly addresses this. If you look at how God gives us Job and Ecclesiastes and Proverbs and Psalms and Song of Solomon and even Esther, if you put all these together, you really begin to see how God interacts with us and how he calls us to live in the world, but to tr rejoice in the things we have, but at the same time remember that the world is broken and we're called to go into that brokenness and be part of restoring it and renewing it and rebuilding the brokenness. So we're in the sermon series and we're looking at how God is always working behind the scenes through his people to achieve his purposes, to fulfill his covenant promise. And we started this series looking at the book of Esther because this is a unique book where it shows God working in the background. It's a book of the Bible that intentionally never mentions God by name, but continually shows how God is always working behind the scenes through his people to achieve his purposes and fulfill his co covenant promises. So in the final sermon on Esther for this morning, I'm relying heavily on works from Old Testament scholars Deborah Reed and Joyce Baldwin. So a lot of what I'm saying today is, is some of their thoughts. And as I process the book of Esther, they, they've studied it their, most of their adult lives. So they really helped me see some of the themes that even were hard for me to see. But Dr. Baldwin summarizes Esther like this. The book of Esther, like other books in the post-exilic period. So this is, so the Jewish people, God calls them out of Egypt. You know, they're in Egypt in slavery. God calls them out. They go and they get a land. They get a king. They have they have David and Solomon and things are going well. And then because of their sin and their continual rebellion against God, they, God says, you know, I'll allow other nations to come in and destroy you. And other nations, armies want that land. It's a strategic piece of land and strategic. And they come in and God allows them to go into exile and they take all the key leaders and move them to different places so that they won't have an army. And that's where Daniel, the story of Daniel, and that's where Esther and Mordecai and Nehemiah and Ezra, that's why they're in these other cities because they removed some of the key leaders and their families from Israel and put them in the, the other cities of the empire that conquered them. So during this post-exilic period was probing for answers to new questions. What future was there for the Jews in scattered groups within an alien empire? Was their God with them? And if so, what did he require of them? The writer of Esther could affirm that God was indeed with them and it followed that they should continue to be true to him and loyal to their Gentile kings. Purim, that's what the, the book of Esther is actually celebrating. They actually read the scroll during the Purim festival. Purim celebrated their deliverance from death, which like Passover should have alerted them to look for an even greater salvation. Some may have found it when they made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem in about AD 30 and heard a certain Peter preaching in the open air to a huge multinational crowd. So even at the time of Jesus, the Jews were still scattered, still saying, where is our salvation gonna come from? And Esther is one of those books that shows that God preserved his people, he was faithful to his covenant. So it's a story that you could look back to. So a couple things I wanna, themes I'm gonna come back to. One is, what's the story that you can look back to, to remember God's faithfulness? And the other thing is, how do we live in this world, in this tension? Um, and I believe that the questions that many of the questions that the book of Esther brings up and that it answers are very relevant to God's people today, just as they were relevant to God's people 
in the past. And we are God's people. So this is a story that we need to hear. So do we sit back and enjoy life or do we do something about the brokenness? I'm going to show you some pictures. I just spent a week with our youth group and our youth, uh, some of our youth leaders and our youth pastor. We made the 12-hour trek to Panama City, Florida, where they were decimated by an earthquake. This is actually the group. Pastor Lawrence and Gina happened to be down there visiting family, so they, they, we got a picture with them. This was our relaxing time after a hard day at, at the work site. Next slide. Uh, this is us just praising God, studying the book of Jonah. Um, this is the church. So guys, how many of you went to the concert? A youth choir came. Well, First Pres is the sponsor of the choir. This is First Presbyterian Church of Panama City, Florida. Their roof blew off. The whole roof. See where it's gone? And they haven't found it. Like it, I'm not kidding. They think it hit like a four-story building a couple blocks away. This is how powerful the wind was. And it was just one little strip of wind. Yeah, this was 10 months ago. This is inside. Um, just 15 miles away in Panama City Beach, hardly a tree was damaged. But the, you, when we, as we were driving in down this stretch, every tree, it was like dominoes. I mean, literally the whole forest was tilted sideways. Every tree had fallen over during the stretch. 10, 15 miles the other direction, it didn't. You know, they, they were pretty much okay because these buildings are built to sustain hurricane winds. This is us collecting... Our youth group, Eric, let me get it right, about 9,000 pounds. We moved 9,000 pounds of trash that was, other, another group had gone before us and actually bagged it. And we bagged about probably 3,000 because some of the bags had broken. And we put it on, trailer, on a trailer. And so this was what we did on the first day at First Prez. Um, next slide. That's our final project. So on the trailer, there was 7,500 pounds, and then we think there's about another 1,500 pounds. So good job, youth group. And the Florida heat, it was hot. We started working about 8 in the morning. By like 10, it was like 100 degrees. This is a house 10 months later in the neighborhood where we worked. The, the place, part this, I mean, it really looked like a ghost town. You'd see stuff like this. And both movie theaters are completely just the roofs blown off and there's no movie. I mean, they're just completely closed 10 months later. This was in the neighborhood where we work. Next slide. Uh, this is the house. We, we helped this, uh, this guy and his three daughters. They, they, they didn't have the money to rebuild a fence. So we took their old fence, took all the nails out and helped them rebuild a fence. So good job, youth group. And I think that's the last picture, right? So, so I bring this up because I was preparing this sermon in my head. I was going to write it too, but I was so tired and stuff. So I was mostly laying, and I'd wake up about four in the morning in the, uh, in the bunk beds with the youth. I'd, I'd start thinking about this sermon. And, and I begin to think about, like, Panama City right here is decimated. Ten miles, I guess it'd be west, 15 miles west, is millions and millions and billions of dollars of tourism right there. Just people spending money, hotels, just massive celebrations. And 10 miles, 15 miles, complete, you know, people who still are living in an RV outside of, outside of their house. It, 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 it was almost like a direct contrast of what should we do? And one of the youth asked me, I, when we were watching the fireworks show, and Panama City Beach puts on this huge fireworks show because they have all these tourists there. And one of the youth said, should they have not spent, looks at me and says, Pastor Danny, should they have not spent money on fireworks so they could go help people because the town doesn't have stuff? 
And it's a, it's a dilemma because if they don't have tourists, then they'll have even less. And there, there's a tension there. If they had no fireworks, people might not come. If they close the hotels, so, so there's a tension. And the Bible puts us in the world and knows that we're living in this tension. And, and the Bible, God didn't pull us out of the world or he didn't magically make every time a Christian enters the situation, there's no tension and everything just works out. Wouldn't that be awesome? No, he wants us to struggle. He wants us to have faith to trust him in these tense moments. And that's what I believe that the book of Esther, one of the hearts, heartbeats of the book of Esther. So do we sit back and enjoy life or do we do something about the brokenness? This was Esther's dilemma, right? She was now the queen. She knew that God would be faithful, right? If she doesn't go before the king, she knew that if God's covenant was true, then he made a covenant with Abraham. He made a covenant with Moses. He made a covenant with David. Whether Esther went to the king or not, she probably knew in her heart, and even Mordecai alludes to it, that God would still save his people. But Mordecai says, maybe you're, this is the time and you're the one to do this. God put you in this position. The story of, I say the story of Esther is really important in Jewish history. So is the story of Joseph, the youngest brother, you know, the 12 brothers, um, Jacob's children, Jacob, who became, his name became, becomes Israel. He has 12 sons. The older brothers don't like, are jealous of their brother. They, they sell him to Egyptian traders, basically hoping that he dies. They never see him again. And Joseph rises up and becomes the prime minister of Egypt. God, in his providence, allows this to happen. So that story would have been in the back of Esther and Mordecai's mind. They would have known that. They, that was a very, that's a story that the Jewish people look back to. And that, their hope was in that story. So Esther makes the choice to maybe die because going before the king uninvited, even though she was the beautiful queen that he coerced into her kingdom. Now, some people would say, why did Esther even allow to enter the beauty pageant or whatever? She should have, a good Jew would have not have even meddled in the affairs of the government. We don't know why God allowed her to get to that point, but we know that at this moment she is faithful. Her and Mordecai pray and they say, okay, she says, I'm going to do it. So during this sermon series, we've, we've looked at four ways that we can think about Esther, four themes that are really important. And we get these actually from Deborah Reed's commentary. And, and these are, I'm sorry, six themes. And these are the six themes that we've covered, or five, and we're covering the six today. The first one is God is working out his, his, God is working his purpose out. The next one is God is presently active in the world. The third one is God works with human behavior and responses to him. And we were going to do a sermon series called, a, sermon, a single sermon called Human Responsibility and God's Sovereignty. But the deeper Lawrence, Eric, and I got into that, we realized that's like one of the great questions of the whole faith. Like, actually, people write their whole PhDs trying to figure it out. So one sermon may not do it justice. So why don't we look at this through a series of sermons? So over the next few weeks... We're continuing this idea of God working in the background. But I can't, I'm not going to sit here today and say this is how it all works out. But we can look at how God worked in Esther's life. We can look at how God works in Daniel or Joseph or Peter or James or John or, other, or, or Mary and, and, and say, okay, God, this is how you work. This is, we can begin to see how human responsibility and God's sovereignty work together. 
But also as I begin to look at it, I realize that Esther isn't the contrast between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. I would say it's more the contrast between God's sovereignty and God's faithfulness to his covenant and human courage. And if you look at the famous, the most famous Esther, put it up, Veggie Tales. When Maggie was a baby, when Maggie was young, she loved this video. And she, we would watch, we probably, I've probably seen this like six or seven hundred times. I mean, Maggie just, just loved watching it. And uh, if you notice, what does it say at the bottom? You know, it says, a lesson in courage. Because Esther was courageous. She did, her and Mordecai stood up and said, even if we die, we're willing to do this. Also a fun fact, just to make you laugh. This was early in the CGI era. And the Esther character, her hair was so difficult and cost them so much money. They had to buy all these extra computers that she's the only VeggieTales character to never be used in any other. Uh, she's, she's never used after this because it was so expensive to render her, her hair movement. They had to buy all these supercomputers. This was about 15 years ago when computers weren't as powerful as they are now. So a little VeggieTales fact for those of you who are falling asleep. If you have kids or if you're just a big kid, VeggieTales are a great way to just... Yeah your kids to enjoy them and teach the Bible. And Madam Blueberry is the best one. So that's, that's my vote. But uh, they're, all, they're all really good. So Esther is a story about human courage and trusting in God's faithfulness. Uh, and like I said, over the next few weeks, we're going to keep looking at this. What, when different people in the Bible encounter a dilemma or tension, how do they trust God? And how is God always working in the background? And sometimes you can't even see it till later. You don't see it initially. So the next one that the next one we talked about is Eric, Pastor Eric actually preached on this is God protects and saves his people. Last week, Pastor Lawrence preached on God's people can celebrate. That's the point of the book of Esther is they they, it, it reminds them of this time when God delivered them and they can celebrate. And what, what's the party joke? Uh, what becomes before part B? Part A. Part A, right? So um, God's people can celebrate. And the final one from, that we're focusing on is God calls his people to faith. And uh, I'm going to actually read Deborah Reed's summary of the book of Esther. Every situation... Whether or not God's presence and power can be seen or felt is an opportunity for a divine encounter, a place to experience God's intervention, and therefore is a situation worth experiencing. Perhaps the author of Esther is determined that God's presence remains veiled in the text because this is the very point. Perhaps the author's own faith journey has been one where the presence of God has never been particularly evident. It is the author's encouragement it is the, is the author encouraging us to be people of faith, even when our most common experience is at best that God is hidden. Is he in fact saying that this is what life and faith are normally like? Visions and revelations might come and go, as the apocalyptic literature suggests, but the veiled presence of God is a constant that may not, may not be seen and felt, but will always sustain his people in good bad and ugly times. This is the precious truth that Esther's story celebrates. The author of Esther is calling readers to do theology, to reflect on God's nature and his, and his seen or unseen role in history. But doing theology also includes responding to the implications of such a quest. And this, is, this responsive task 
will even today require individual and corporate faith as a heart's response to God's self-revelation. I thought she could say it better than I would. I'll actually put this quote on the city because I feel like uh, it's, worth, it's worth reading again because she spent years studying the book of Esther and just, just saying, God, what do, what do you, how can this relate to me as a modern person? So God calls his people to faith. Do we sit back and enjoy life and enjoy the things of God or we do, do we do something about the brokenness? That's kind of the tension, one of the tensions the book of Esther brings and one of the tensions we feel. So I, I think four things we can learn from Esther about courage, faith, and action. The first one, God will call us to action as his people. He will. You know, you, you join the team, you got to play. You may not be one of the starting five in basketball. We're in basketball country now. Uh, you may not be one of the starting five, but if you're on the team, you're going to practice, you're going to show up, you're going to be there, and you're going to say yes, sir, or yes, ma'am, to the coach. And you, God will call us to action. We're part of building his kingdom. Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Deborah, Esther, John the Baptist, Mary, Peter, James, John, Priscilla, and Aquila. They all came from different kinds of upbringings, different kinds of situations, and they were all being faithful in their context and their situation when God called them to take additional steps of faith and action. And he did this and told them, trust me, I have a plan for the world. I'm building a kingdom. I'm fulfilling my promises, and you, you're a part of it. Some of them, the call was grand. Others, it was just simple, simple steps of, of faith. Priscilla and Aquila, we learned about them a couple weeks ago when we looked at uh, Paul's teaching in Romans, the end of Romans. They actually had to go to, to Corinth and, and uh, Ephesus because they got kicked out of Rome. And then they ended up back in Rome. So they didn't even want to. God used forcing them to move to a new city, a new place to build his kingdom. God did the same thing with Abraham. He calls him from one place to another. Other people, John the Baptist, he calls him to stay put and keep preaching the word faithfully. And he's beheaded for his faith. But each person, God does something different, but they're just faithful where they are. Mary is just a faithful teenager, loving and serving God. And she's the mother of Jesus Christ. Just someone who was faithful to where she was. There was nothing special about her. She had no genealogy, no privilege. She was as common as common could get. But she was faithful and God chose her. And, and she was the mother of our Lord. So God will call us to action as his people. There's no bench, as Pastor Lawrence likes to say, at Waypoint, and there's, there's no bench in the kingdom. Now, this is a good thing because we get to, we're on the team and we get to play. You join the team so you can play. You join the team so you can be a part of, the, of celebrating and being part of the good things. But joining the team isn't just winning the championship. It's also the hard practices and the getting up early and the, and, and the training it takes to get to the point where, where you can see some of the fruit and you can see some of the, the good things. Second thing that we can learn from Esther about courage, faith, and action. Our actions for God are accomplished through faith in God and His covenant promises to us, not in our efforts or abilities. Now, this is really important because most of us are capable people. Most of us have pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps, studied hard, went to college, got a good job, became the manager. We were the lower clerk. Now we're the manager. Whatever, whatever your thing is, most of the people in this room worked hard 
and, and got ahead. And some of you were born with these abilities. Some of you just kind of fell into them. Um, and God gave you these things. So these aren't necessarily bad. But when we're working for God, we need to realize that it, we, we have to trust him. Just because we have the ability doesn't mean that that's what we use to build his kingdom. We need to rely on him and use his power and his wisdom and know who he is to accomplish what he's called us to accomplish. Um, if you look at Esther 4:14, Mordecai says to Esther, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows? Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. And I would say that God has given you, put you in positions and done these things, but he's going to be the one to see you through. Not your own abilities or your own strengths. That can only go so far. We have to rely on God. And that's the way his kingdom is built. And that's the way he wants us to trust him. Because he's like, it's my power and my strength that's sufficient for all that you need to live each day and, and to build my kingdom and to trust me and to, and to be the person that I've called you to be. Uh, God has given us many gifts and experiences that allow us to be part of building his kingdom. Yet it still takes faith to do something, to enter into the brokenness and actually fight with God for the renewal and restoration. Interesting, this, when we went on the youth mission trip, we, we visited Gospel Hope Church, which is also a Summit Network church. And the pastor that day was actually, this was in Atlanta on the way down, the pastor was preaching a sermon about how God rebuilds and renews. That's God's in the business of rebuilding broken things. And we were going to rebuild a broken fence and to help rebuild a broken church. And we were thinking, I'm th I was thinking about the book of Esther and, and, even, and even Jonah, the book we studied as a youth group on the trip. God is rebuilding and renewing, but it, it, we have to yield to him. We can only go so far on our own strength. We have to be able to trust him. Our own abilities and strengths only get us so far. I was thinking about Waypoint people. So Waypoint people have been living intentionally in various apartment complexes around Durham uh, for over five years. Since the inception of Waypoint and even before Waypoint, many of you in this room have chosen to live intentionally in, in apartment complexes to love that community, to share the gospel with them through action, through words. And as I've heard reports, some of you have seen fruit and left really encouraged. Other of you said you didn't see the fruit that you'd like to see and you felt discouraged or you felt, wow, God, what, what, what was that? And uh, many of you have been faithful in evangelism. You've been sharing with the same person for many years, a family member, or a friend or a neighbor. And some of you have seen great fruit from that. You've seen them say, hey, I want to turn back from God. I'm admitting I'm broken. I'm admitting that I need that I need to be saved. I'm admitting, and, and, and you see that, and you get to walk them through this process. Other of you have shared with people and seen no fruit, and you're discouraged. But our actions aren't just by our own efforts. They're, it's us trusting God. So the last point, I mean, the third point is we're called to be faithful, and the results are up to God and His perfect timing according to His perfect will. And I really think this is where Esther and Mordecai, when they're struggling, Esther's like, you, she knew about Joseph, she knew about Daniel, she would have known about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And she's like, I may die. I may die, but I'm going to be faithful. And the results are up to God. 
The results are up to God. The fourth thing, the power comes from God. I alluded to this earlier. Listen to what Esther does. It says, Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, for three days, night or day. Our power comes from trusting in God and fasting and prayer and relying fully on the Holy Spirit. Esther didn't go into this without fasting, without praying. She was trusting God. She knew that it wasn't her own strength that was going to change the king's heart. It wasn't even her beauty or her position. It had to be God. And she was willing to die, but she was courageous and she, she followed God. And God, we know the story, God honored it, and, and it became a reason to celebrate. So Mordecai and Esther can look back. They look back at these covenants that God made with Abraham and Moses to protect and preserve his people. So she knew even if I die, God will still honor his covenant because he's faithful. But then what do we look back to? Do we look back to the covenants God made with Abraham and, and, and Moses? I believe we do. But in those covenants, there's a, a promise. There's a new covenant and this new covenant is, is the way that God was going to finally save his people. And we, knew, we know that came in Jesus Christ. In Luke 22, 19 and 20, Jesus says this. And he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is Jesus. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup. Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. The new covenant. That's what we look back to. What do we look back to? We looked back to Jesus Christ, what he did, his life, his death, his resurrection. Just like Esther and Mordecai could look back and say, God is going to be faithful. I may die, but God will be faithful. We look back to Jesus Christ and the new covenant. And this morning, we're actually going to celebrate this new covenant. That's what we look back to. Hebrews chapter 10 and 11 summarize it like this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance of faith that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty conscience and having bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. That's, he promised. Our faith is in him. He's the cornerstone we sang about earlier. Consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up, meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the way more as you see the day approaching. What we're doing today is part of this process. We're looking back. We're remembering. We're, we're remembering his faithfulness. And then I, I put in Hebrews chapter 11, and that's where the author of Hebrews says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And this is what the ancients are commended for. And then he, he gives this long list. Um, and I would argue that Esther is in that list. I mean, he doesn't name her by name, but he says, and escape the edge of the sword. There was these faithful people who continue to follow God and be faithful. So here's my question for this morning. We, we need to look back. We need to say there's this tension in the world, right? We know 
We're called to serve God. We're called to live in this tension, the real world, not some imaginary world, but the real world that God's called us to right now. We know we're called to be part of building his kingdom, but we also know that we're called to enjoy each other and enjoy the fellowship and the things that he's given us. So in this tension, my question is, what is God calling you to be faithful in? I didn't tell any stories. In a sermon, you're always supposed to tell a couple stories. I purposely didn't tell a story about Jim Elliott or Hudson Taylor or some great Christian or, or someone else because I want it to be your story. What are you, when, when were times when God was faithful in your life or in a family member's life and you saw his faithfulness? You can look back to those and, and there's going to be many more, many more times when you thought God was not there and now you know he's there. You look back to those. We look back to the cross. We can look back to the story of Esther. We can even get inspiration from the Lord of the Rings or Chronicles of Narnia, which Christians wrote, Christians wrote to give us hope and to, and to show us, to give us stories that relate to our faith. But what is God calling you to be faithful in right now? And what are the stories that you need to go back to and remember in this? Are you being called to be faithful in evangelism? Money. Are you worried about money? Your work? Relationships? Humility? Are you prideful? Do you need to admit you're weak and need help? I wrote that one for myself because I'm struggling in some things right now. I just, I just need to admit that I have some weaknesses and I need to ask others for help. Me not asking others for help is, is, is pride. It's not humility. It's false humility. I can't do it on my own. I need help. Are you taking of steps of faith to enter into, into the brokenness? Maybe you seek comfort too much and God is calling you to step out of your comfort zone and try something different to build it, to go into the brokenness. It's messy going to the brokenness. If you go live in intentional living, it's hard. If you go live in another country, it's hard. If you go just try to talk to your neighbor, it might be hard. Living for God and living out his kingdom, entering into the brokenness is, is hard. And then I wrote this one on here because I think some of us need this. Is God calling you to be faithful and rest? Maybe you need to stop toiling and trust God. Some of us are doing a lot. Some of us maybe need, I need to go do more for his kingdom. Some of us may be like, I'm doing too much. I'm only relying on my own strength. I'm not resting. I'm going seven days a week. I'm working, then I come home and I'm sharing my, my neighbor and I'm doing this. I'm volunteering. I'm spread too thin that I can't even honor God's command for rest. I don't know what God is calling you to be faithful in right now, but he's calling you to courage and to trust him. Let's pray. God, we're going to take your, your Lord's Supper and we're going to look back and remember your faithfulness and we have these stories that things that you've done in our own lives or the people we know and we, we can say, God, we, we know you're faithful because of the cross, because of your resurrection, because of the covenant faithfulness and the promises you made. But God, I ask each person in here that they would walk away today saying, God, what do I need to trust you in? What are, what are ways where I need to be just be faithful and step out in courage and trust you? God, I thank you that we, have, we can enter the most holy place and we have confidence and full assurance that faith brings and that our hearts are sprinkled from a guilty conscience, that we're not doing these actions and, and being courageous because we feel guilty. We're doing them because you've already saved us and you love us and you set us free.
and we're on the team and you're going to give us what we need to go out there and, and be part of what you're doing. God, I pray for courage. I pray for faithfulness. And I pray that we would fall more in love with you each day as a congregation. In Jesus' name, amen.